Welcome to Epic Fails, Finding Redemption in Our Stories. I'm your host, Brittany Rust, and on this show, you'll hear from people from all walks of life sharing powerful stories of transformation. My hope is that as you hear these stories of redemption, you'll find redemption in your own. Today, I'm doing something a bit different, a sort of selah or pause as we take this journey together. Originally on the show today, I was going to have my friend Angela Hudson and her testimony of overcoming a shopping addiction is so powerful. But you know when there's something so powerful that needs to be shared that um, you believe that God is going to use to impact lives, the enemy just loves to get in there and he likes to stop it from happening. Well, that's what has sort of been happening. The enemy has really been trying to not make that episode get out there, but you know what? It is going to get out there and Angela will be on the show next week, but it just did not work out at the last minute, but you'll have to come back at the next episode to hear her story. It is so, so good. Today, I want to encourage you in your own story and perhaps epic fail. We all have a story and most likely we all have something we've struggled with in the past, but you know who else did? Pretty much every man and woman of God that was used in the Bible. There was lying, murder, sexual morality, disobedience. These are but a few of the sins committed by the Bible's prominent pillars. They were people who made epic failures in their moments of weakness, yet they are also people God redeemed and used in powerful ways to build his kingdom. Today, I want to take a few moments to explore some of the people in the Bible that had some epic fails. And my hope is that as you see what they struggled with and went through, and how God still used them, you'll be encouraged in your own journey. Let's start with Abraham, a man credited with incredible faith and revered for his place and our heritage. Even so, he was still a man who made mistakes. What's interesting is that Abraham originally known as Abram, didn't start with the makings of being this great patriarch of Israel. In fact, Abram came from a godless home in a wicked nation. Not much to start with, which makes him a perfect candidate for many of us to relate to. We first learned of him in Genesis 12 as God calls Abram to the faith. He's living in Haran with his family when God reveals himself to Abram and commands him to go to a new land. Along the many years Abram follows God's instructions, usually never knowing what the next step would be, his faith grows leaps and bounds through the various trials. However, there were a few bumps in the road. Not long after Abram steps out to follow God, a famine hits the land and he decides to take his family to Egypt where the food was plentiful. The Bible is pretty clear when God spoke to Abram, but this is not one of those moments. We never see God tell Abram to go, so it's gathered that Abram made that decision on his own. Out of fear and uncertainty, Abram decides to move his family to a wicked nation. This is the first step down a dangerous path for him, showing us that when we decide to make decisions based off of what we think is best instead of what God says is best, we wander into risky territory. Unfortunately, Abram's poor decisions didn't stop there. He was married to the very beautiful Sarah, and he was afraid he would be killed by men in Egypt who wanted his wife when he got there. So he hatched a plan to go into Egypt as brother and sister instead of husband and wife. 
Abram was afraid of men, so he took matters into his own hands and decided to live a lie. Can you imagine claiming your spouse as a sibling and allowing them to live in a harem? Oh, that's exactly what Abram did. God judges the situation and creates an opportunity for Abram and Sarah to leave untouched, thankfully. But poor Abram, sometimes you have to wonder about this guy. Sadly, he doesn't learn from his mistake because in Genesis 20, he does the exact same thing in another country. In between these two circumstances, God promises Abram that he will have descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky at a time when him and Sarah have no children. Eventually, she convinces Abram to take matters into their own hands yet again, and Abram sleeps with another woman to conceive a child. Really, Abraham shows a pattern of taking matters into his own hands when things get tough. Perhaps this is why God rarely showed Abram the next step to teach him faith. And as a result, perhaps it's why Abram is now known as Abraham, full of faith, the man who was willing to lay his son on the altar because he believed in God's promise to provide heirs. Most of the time we can't see the next step and we don't know what God is up to. Perhaps you've taken matters into your own hands before and it didn't work out. I know that I've done that before many, many times, but thankfully we get to have this beautiful relationship with a kind and gracious God who redeems our past for a flourishing future. Another messed up character is Jacob. If there was ever a shady character in the Bible that God redeemed in a big way, it was this guy. The guy's name literally means deceiver, if that tells you anything. So Abraham had a son named Isaac who had two sons named Esau and Jacob. So Jacob is the grandson of Abraham. The two sons were twin brothers born seconds apart, which is where it all started really for the twins. Jacob came out of his mother's womb clasping at the heel of his older brother Esau. And from that point on, Jacob was not content to be who God birthed him to be. He wanted the birthright and blessing that belonged to the firstborn, his older brother Esau. So what happens is in Genesis 25, Esau comes home from a long day of hard work and he's starving. Jacob has stew, but when Esau asks for some, Jacob says that, you know, if Esau wants some stew, he has to sell his birthright to him. Aside from the fact that Esau made a dumb move, Jacob shows pretty lousy character here. I mean, the guy is willing to let his brother starve for a birthright, something that belonged to Esau, which is incredibly manipulative. But it only gets worse, people. Because in Genesis 27, as their father Isaac lies on his deathbed, Jacob deceives his father into thinking he's Esau in order to steal the blessing. I mean, he dresses up and talks like his brother Esau. He even flat out lies to his father when asked who he is. Rightly so, Jacob fears for his life upon stealing Esau's blessing and he flees. But this is the start of God's transformation in Jacob's life. Over the next few chapters and decades, God teaches Jacob who is in control. Interestingly enough, Jacob himself ends up being deceived by his future father-in-law. Jacob ends up facing many trials over the years, but God moves mightily in his life. In fact, he ends up restoring the relationship between Jacob and Esau. Perhaps the most transformative moments in Jacob's life took place in Genesis 32 over one restless night. Jacob was heading back actually to Esau with his growing family. And Jacob wrestles with God, and by the end of the experience, God renames Jacob to Israel, which means God strives, or God rules, God heals, or he strives against God. At this pivotal point, Israel is forever changed after its experience with a 
mighty God. What's so neat about this is that it shows us that God can metaphorically rename you once you've wrestled with him and declare a new way of life for you in his way. He can and wants to transform you and your life completely. It's okay if you wrestle with him to get there. Ultimately, he reigns and prevails, changing your life like no other person can, not even yourself. If there's one thing that echoes from Jacob's story today is the transformative power of God. Jacob was a deceiver who eventually became the father of God's chosen people, Israel. God birthed this nation from a manipulator who's willing to see, to deceive his own family. Now let's talk about Moses. We, we all know Moses, right? He is a murderer, and a murderer isn't often thought of as the first choice for spiritual leadership, right? In fact, we label those who fall into this very dangerous category as the unforgivable, and we cast them to the fringes of society. However, God doesn't operate as we do, thankfully, and his ways are higher than ours. Uh, and, and Moses is a perfect example of this. For the first 40 years of his life, Moses grew up in Pharaoh's house where he had everything he could ever want. He had power, money, prestige, notoriety. Yet like any man growing up in an idolatrous world, there was a major gap between who he was born to be and where he currently was. There's a time in Moses' life when he is living in Pharaoh's house, yet he knows he's Hebrew. He walks out and observes an Egyptian slave driver beating Hebrew. Moses murders the Egyptian and buries him in the sand. The next day he realizes there were witnesses and soon the news travels to Pharaoh who attempts to kill Moses and Moses flees to the land of Midian and that's where his 40 year journey with God begins. Moses, who had been one of the most powerful people in the world and had all the comforts he could ever want, now lived in obscurity, shepherding flocks for his father-in-law Jethro. He spent long days and nights in the wilderness on his own evenings after the stars contemplating life and his purpose as he sat with the animals conversations with god about the dreams in his heart and reconciling how he could be used for god's glory when he's out in the wilderness moses spent a long time in pharaoh's house and in the world i believe that moses spent 40 years in obscurity so that god could pull those things from the world out in order to make moses into the leader he would use to bring israel out of captivity we often fantasize Moses' great years of ministry and, you know, leading Israel towards the promised land, yet we overlook his 40 years in the wilderness. And I think for us, we look at that, we want his influence, but we're not really ready for his preparation. God took a murderer from the world stage, set him to obscurity overseeing sheep, and transformed that man into a great leader who would deliver a nation. Now that's a powerful testimony if you've ever heard one. David is someone we all know, a boy, the youngest of a large family chosen out of obscurity to be the next king of Israel, a teenager inexperienced in war up against an infamous giant granted victory with a slingshot, a young man with access to the king and given in marriage to a beautiful princess, a soldier granted triumph over his enemies and the adoration of the country. David was a man after God's own heart only to be described so poetically in the Bible, who had everything a man could ever want. He perseveres through every trial, holding firm to his faith in God in incredibly dark storms. Through his early battles as an adult, David didn't waver or doubt his circumstances, but believed that God would be good to him. And he was good. Rarely do we see such obvious favor on a person as we see on David. 
However, after many years as a king, things began to take a turn for David. Not because God's favor diminished, but because David grew complacent. When David should have been at war, his lack of obedience left him in a vulnerable place that led him to temptation and ultimately sin. David had an affair with a married woman named Bathsheba, conceived a child with her, and had her husband killed in war. No doubt being in the wrong place leaves us vulnerable to temptation, which can lead to sin if not careful. And thankfully, God forgave David, but it did cost him his child. The fact that David also had many wives led to great trouble, as it would for anybody, right? With many children born into a divided family, a family feud was inevitable. David's eldest son raped his half-sister, and her full brother then killed the firstborn son when David would do nothing to uh, reprove the man. That same son who committed murder would then drive David out of the city and attempt to overthrow him as king. These heartaches could have been avoided if David had stayed true to God's word, but he let his desires for women get the best of him. Another major fail of David is the census he conducts in 2 Samuel 24, which God had commanded Moses uh, not be done. And as a result of giving into the temptation and playing into pride, God judged Israel for three days. And in those three days, 70,000 men died. When the angel reached out his hand to destroy Jerusalem, God grieved and had mercy on the people. David's mistakes affected thousands of people, and ours affect others as well. No sin or mistake is kept hidden. They cannot remain only your burden. Through it all, however, God is good, and he uses it for his purposes. I love what David shares at the end of his life as he reflects on God. In 1 Kings one twenty nine, he proclaims, And the king swore, saying, As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my soul out of every adversity. David made mistakes, and he admits he's been through a lot as a result. But through it all, God was there for him, and God is there for you. Let's talk about, for a second, someone who started out on the right path, someone like Solomon. Solomon didn't start out wayward. He was born to godly parents, although they made their own fair share of mistakes. And he was raised in a home that nurtured his future. He was made king over Israel, and he had everything he could ever want, including a godly wife and God's great task to build the temple. In 1 Kings 3, his greatest prayer is for wisdom, which God answers more than he could have hoped for. Not only does Solomon become the, the wisest man to ever live, but God blesses him with riches and honor for his heart's pure desire. Solomon started off strong, but he let temptation get a firm hold on his life. Solomon ended up pursuing so many of the world's offerings. I really encourage you to take some time today and and read the book of Ecclesiastes because it will give you a pretty good idea of all that he pursued. He goes so far as to say that he denied himself nothing his eyes desired. He satisfied his lust for women, having hundreds of wives and concubines. He amassed great wealth and property, which he delighted himself in. Solomon denied himself nothing. He had everything he thought he could ever want, but it came at a price. You see, sin creates distance between us and God, not because he loves you any less, but because sin breaks his heart. It makes us less like him and more like the deceiver. As Solomon reflects on the way he lived his life, he makes a plea for people to follow God in their youth. 
Reading Ecclesiastes, I believe that Solomon wished he could have done it all differently. Maybe you're dabbling with some of the things of this world. Perhaps you're heading into a trial and your first, second, or maybe third instinct may be to seek comfort in this world. If this is you, flee from temptation. Learn from the mistakes of the wisest person who ever lived. Resolve to embrace that the things of this world pale in comparison to our beautiful God and that everything is meaningless outside of them. No desire, accumulation of wealth, advancement, or person fills the ache you might feel in your soul. Only God can reach those places and love you the way you long to be loved. Let's look at one more person and let's jump to the New Testament for this. Now there was a young man, zealous in his religion, born in Tarsus, a hotbed for Roman activity. This man had the privilege of studying in Jerusalem with the ranking rabbi of the heir. A well-to-do family, comfortable lifestyle, and top-notch education afforded the man a pathway to prominence. He stewarded his opportunity with fervor and boldness, rising so quickly that at the age of 30, he had already had a role in the Sanhedrin and was becoming one of the most promising young Pharisees in the country. This man began to lead a charge against Christians, persecuting them even to death. He believed these people were blasphemous and had to be dealt with severely. One day, a disciple of Jesus, Stephen, began to preach the gospel, which infuriated the Sanhedrin. Witnesses took off their robes and laid them at the feet of this young, prominent Pharisee. And as they picked up their stones to brutally kill the apostle, the man watched on approvingly. The disciple was killed, and the man set off to further crush the budding Christian community. This man was Saul. But we now know him as Paul, the great Paul who became the first missionary, who preached the gospel boldly, and who wrote most of the New Testament. This man went from a rising star among the Pharisees and persecuting the early church to one of the biggest proponents of the gospel. That's an incredible transformation. What encourages me most from his story, and it's really quite simple, is that if Paul can be redeemed and used, I believe anyone can. The guy murdered Christians and God saved him to be used to spread the gospel more than most. It goes to show that even if you think you're too far gone or you've done too much harm to be of any use to God, you're mistaken. If God can use someone who murdered his own people, he can and wants to use you for his purposes. Paul's story is full of great testimonies and practical lessons, but that would take a book to explore. Today, I just want to leave you with the simple message that you are not too far gone. You have not committed so much sin that you are no longer of any use to God. I have been there and I've struggled with these very feelings, but talking from personal experience, I know God redeems. Remember this, your past will never trump God's vision of who you are or where you are going. And I'm going to say that again. Your past will never trump God's vision of who you are or where you are going. There are so many people who fail big time and God still used that we didn't have time to explore. Aaron, Miriam, Job, Jonah, the disciples, and even the nation of Israel. To sum it up, we're in good company. I want to leave you with Colossians 1 verses 13 through 14. God rescued us from dead end alleys and dark dungeons. He set us up in the kingdom of the son he loves so much, the son who got us out of the pit we were in got rid of the sins we were doomed to keep repeating. No matter where you are or have been, God has an incredible plan for your life. You are not doomed to repeat the past. God loves you so much that he will rescue you from the alleys and dungeons and bring you into the light for his purposes. 
this exploration of these stories was an encouragement to you knowing that you're in good company, that God has used um, people who made some epic fails, and it's incredible to hear their stories, and I hope that you can walk away refreshed knowing that you are redeemable and that God has a plan for you. Don't forget to come back in two weeks so you can hear from Angela Hudson as she shares her powerful story that no doubt God wants to use if the enemy is trying to block it, but come back and hear her story of transformation. It's phenomenal, I promise you. I thank you for joining me today. If this podcast is something that is ministering to you or you think others might find interesting, please subscribe on iTunes and leave a review. A review helps this podcast grow, which helps to get the word out to people who might need to hear this story of redemption. Tune in again in two weeks for another powerful story of redemption. In the meantime, you can find more information about me, read weekly devotionals, and find out what I'm doing around the web at www.brittanyrest.com. I'll see you next time. 